Well, as uh, you heard this morning, we are in the series Made to Flourish, and uh, we are thinking about wholeness in all of life, looking at different topics from week to week. And uh, sometimes I, I get feedback from people uh, after particular messages, and a couple of weeks ago I was preaching on emotional health, finding wholeness, finding peace emotionally, and I had, I had several people ask for different uh, 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 parts of my notes or a, a quote or a resource, and so I was able to uh, uh, hopefully provide some, some help and some encouragement to those who were, who were contacting me. And then this last week, I preached on physical health, and I also heard from a few people, but, but the tone was quite a bit different. It was more like, uh, boy, you sure were uh, meddling today, weren't you? Um, and another was so bold as just to call me a meddler. Um, and then uh, another one said, well, you know, really, you could have just cut about 10 minutes off that sermon, you know. And, uh, and these are my friends, right? These are my friends that are giving me this kind of feedback. And so it's a good thing there's a week in between because, you know, it took a little while. But I got over it, and I decided I'm coming back again. Kind of like, you know, when the, when the boxer gets knocked down, you know. And it's like, you know, I'm not just going to stay on the ropes. I'm going to get back in the ring, and I'm going to come back. And now I'm going to preach on financial health. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to get any better in terms of meddling. But it is good to be with you, and I do want to give a word to those who are with us online. Uh, so good to have you joining with us today. Uh, I really believe that this is an important series. Yeah, starting the year off, thinking about the biblical theme of flourishing. Looking back to see that when God created the world, he placed order and structure in place for our well-being and for his glory. And we know that sin interrupted things. It, it changed the trajectory of, of so much within the world. And yet still, based upon being created in his image, we have a longing to see things together. And that's where the, the Hebrew word shalom comes into place. It means wholeness, to, to long for that, that well-being. It even is used as a greeting when people would, would express the greeting, shalom, it's more than just what we think of in peace. It's like a blessing, well-being upon your life. And as we think about all of these different topics, we've, we've looked at spiritual health, we've looked at uh, uh, emotional health, and as I said, physical health, and Lord willing, next week we'll be thinking about relational health and then vocational health. We see that in each each one of these, there is a desire to find wholeness. And as we look at financial peace today, I, I, I just believe that there could be someone here, maybe, maybe many, that, that really, really need to, to think through and, and make that a priority for this year. On Friday, I sent out something in the Fellowship News that detailed a survey uh, that asked people what topic is the most challenging topic to discuss and in the survey, uh, the responses were a little surprising. The, the top responses were not politics and religion, not even death. The topic that came in as the hardest topic to discuss is finances. And so some of you may say, yes, that's right. It's, it's a struggle, struggle to talk about that and to think through it. And yet the Bible doesn't avoid addressing the topic of money. And we will consider this morning some principles that can help us, to help us find that shalom, that, that peace, that sense of well-being, even in our financial lives. 
And I, I think as we, as we consider the topic and we connect this idea of flourishing with finances, that there really is hope to be found. And when you look across the country and you see the, the national debt and you see, see the deficit and you see uh, consumer uh, indebtedness, I even saw something this week about, about student loan debt going over $1 trillion. And so and that's just one, one form, one, one type of debt that, that people are working with. We know we live in a culture right now that is struggling financially and, and, and struggling to find financial wisdom that can bring about this type of peace. But there is hope, and there's hope found in God's Word. And let me begin by saying we don't have promises for riches and material abundance, but we do have principles that can help us manage our finances in a way that helps alleviate that financial stress, that anxiety that is all too common Today, Speaking of stress, I, I read another study that, that asked in a survey what causes the most stress. And second on the list, people mentioned the, the greatest stressor, number two on the list, was personal relationships. We're going to be looking at that next week. Number three on the list as a greatest stressor was job and vocation. But number one on that list is finances. So if there's if there's ever a topic that would, that would really make sense for us to stop and take a week, and you could even argue maybe a series thinking about, about financial health, this is one that really hits home to a lot of us. In fact, in this study, it said that 80% of Americans say they are often stressed about money. And within that group, 30% said that they are constantly stressed by money. And so I, I thought about that, and I would like to ask you, do you think that God's intention for your life and for mine is that we would constantly be stressed out financially? Or do you think that his plan for shalom, for well-being, includes finances? Well, it, it, it may surprise you, but God's word says a lot about money. And, and I just want to put, put, put your fears at ease. It's not all about money being given to the church, okay? There's a lot more about the way that God teaches us in, 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 in skills related to money that, that are not just our giving. Let me give you a couple of examples. In, in the Bible, there are over 2,000 verses about money. Twice as many verses about money than there are about faith and prayer combined. And so if, if there's so much volume... In God's word about finances and about money, it must mean that there is a reason. In fact, Jesus, in his parable, 16 of the 38 deal with money and possessions, and nearly 25% of his words address stewardship. It's as if God knew that, that finances and money could create a real problem, and, and it could also create a real blessing. And so he wants us to be informed with wise principles in how to manage money. I know that today is a, uh, a day that we call Family Worship Sunday where we have kids with us. And uh, uh, as I was thinking about this message falling on a Sunday where we have kids uh, in the worship service, I thought, you know what? This is really good. 
this is good because how, how young should one begin in thinking about financial principles? I mean, as soon as someone's old enough to, to, to have a little bit of an allowance or, or make a little bit of money doing some type of job, that's when it begins. And so I know that some of our young people, children, maybe even teenagers might be thinking, oh, I don't even have a job yet. Why, why should I worry about this? I'll just kind of tune out. And I would just say that if you give me a few minutes this morning, and you think through some of the principles that we're going to see from God's Word, they literally could change your future. They could, they could keep you out of, 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 of some danger zones regarding money, and they could put you in a position to be in, 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 a, in a great position of blessing for yourself and your family, but also for others. So, so I hope, I hope that our young people also key in on what we're talking about today, because it's certainly something that's so important. Well, with that in mind, I'm going to quickly give you five principles this morning for financial freedom, all of them found in God's Word. And uh, again, we'll be back into a type of series where we're going through a book of the Bible here very soon, but, but this week and the next couple weeks, we'll be looking at these topics. And again, I just think this one is so, so very important. Well, the first uh, principle that we need to begin with is to understand that God owns it all. And really, if we don't begin there, the other principles just don't make as much sense. Nor do we have the motivation to really, to really understand the other principles and, 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 and hold on to them. But when we see that God owns it all, it not only shapes our perspective of, of what the, 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 the world is made of and what these things are all about, but it also shapes our perspective of who we are in relation to God's ownership. Look at Psalm 24.1. It says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. He's the creator God. He owns everything. And oftentimes we don't think of it that way. We talk about our portfolio or our possessions or our uh, financial goals. And yet, really, underneath it all, it's owned by the Lord. We need to think through that concept of ownership. I was reading uh, this last week, and I, I came across a story about a lady who was traveling, and uh, she was going from uh, to, uh, to one city to another uh, on an airplane, and she had a connecting flight in another city, and so she got off the plane, and as she was there in the, in the terminal, she decided she would go by the, the duty-free shop or one of those places where you can, you can pick up something, and so she, she decided that she'd grab a newspaper and she would get a sack of cookies, sack of cookies. And so she sat down and put the cookies next to her in an empty seat and began reading her newspaper. And all of a sudden, as she's reading, she hears a, a noise. And there is a guy two seats over that is, grabbed her sack of cookies. And he opened them. And he ate one. And she, she just, she could not believe it. Here's this nicely dressed businessman who's eating one of her cookies, and she thought, well, I'm, I want to make sure he knows that I saw him, so she kind of puts the newspaper down, and she grabs the bag and gets out a cookie, and she goes back to reading her paper, and then in a minute, she hears some more rattling, and the guy was audacious enough to get another cookie out of the bag and eat it, and so she thought, well, I'm going to do the same thing. I want to make sure he sees that I know these are mine, and she takes another one, and, and this goes back and forth until there's only one cookie left. 
And then the guy was so kind. He took the cookie and he, he broke it in half. And he, and he gave, her, gave her half. And I mean, she's just fuming at this point. And so he puts the little half cookie in his mouth and, and off he goes. And she's just could not believe what she'd experienced. And then she gets the call that it's time to board. So she opens up her purse to get, a, uh, to get her boarding pass. And can you imagine what was inside her purse? An unopened bag of cookies. And it struck her. He didn't eat my cookies. I ate his cookies, right? <laughs> what am I trying to say? When you think about ownership, anybody like some cookies? I, I preached on physical health last week. I, I cannot, I cannot be eating, I cannot be eating these cookies. Anybody, anybody want some? Yeah, there you go. I, I can't, I can't, I can't believe I gave those to Paula Sheldon's granddaughter. Oh my goodness, you, you can get better cookies than that. I promise you, I promise you. Ownership makes all the difference, all the difference. Because in, in your mind, if you think you're the owner, then you think you get to decide what happens to the cookies, right? But when you realize that someone else is the owner, that, that changes things. That changes it. And so what we see in Psalm 24 is that God is the owner, and that makes us stewards, not owners. Let me give you a definition of stewardship. One who manages the wealth of the master according to the will and direction of of the master. So if God's the owner, we are the stewards, we are the managers, realizing that it is up to him on how we, how we spend his resources, how we utilize the resources he's given. And, and I know oftentimes we really think of them as ours, but, but even the ability to create an earning, even having the wisdom in, in order to do a particular job, can, I, can we think for just a moment? Where does that come from? Who gave you the health to be able to do the job that you do? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. It's his. All of it is his. So that's our first point. Understand that God owns it all. Second point, consider that money is to be honestly acquired and generously shared. Now, I know that you look at that and say, well, wait a minute, that's two points. And, and it really is because we're, we're thinking about the acquiring but also the sharing. And when we, when we, when we see this, it's, it's a call both to be a worker and a giver. And in Ephesians chapter 4, both of these are brought together. Ephesians 4 is giving some detail about what the old life used to look like before one was in Christ and what they now look like in him, a, a new life that's being lived. And it says in verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Now, now let me ask you, do you see the three things there? The first one is that we are not to acquire by thievery, right? That there is some integrity here. As a, as a child of God, born into his kingdom, we have principles that guide the way we acquire. All right? And so, so that, that's, that's the very first clear point that comes out of this verse. But then the second one is that he is to do honest work with his own hands. 
So there's a, a call there for productivity. And we'll look at this more in a couple of weeks when we look at that idea of vocation and vocational health. But there, there is a call for us to be contributors, to be producers, to be, to be actively involved in, in, in work. And the third step there is really, or the third point that comes out of this verse is that it's not just so that we can acquire and gain a lot of things for our personal benefit, but that a kingdom-minded perspective says, look also to the needs of others. And isn't it a blessing to be in a position where you have acquired, and when you see that there is a need, you're able to contribute. You're able to help. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that, where you were in a season where, where you needed someone else to assist you. And you see that, that that oftentimes is the way God's blessings are channeled, that they go through, through his body to encourage others. And we see it right here in Ephesians chapter 4. Also, the biblical worldview tells us that, uh, uh, that, that as we are a channel of blessing, that, that this is something that is, that is so important to God that he blesses those who give. Look at Proverbs 19. It says, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord, verse 17, and he will give a reward to the lender. So here we see that, that the Bible is speaking about the power of money in a very positive way. I think sometimes we think, well, maybe the Bible is just going to come down on, on, on money, and that's not the case. There's, there's positive aspects here that, uh, that we consider. In fact, the whole book of Proverbs connects themes such as hard work, creativity, ingenuity, um, self-control, and discipline with the way that one prospers economically. Look at uh, Proverbs 10, verses 4 and 5. Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. The son who gathers during summer is prudent. The son who sleeps during harvest is disgraceful. So we see that there's a clear call, and it, it really comes down to, to the character of being willing to work. It doesn't mean that there aren't times where there's seasons of, of unemployment and there aren't hardships in the vocational arena. We know that there are. That is certainly part of the broken world. But the desire to say, look, I want to, to find the call that God has given, and I want to, I want to use the gifts that he has given. I want to, to create. I want to contribute. We'll look in a couple weeks at what the Bible calls the creation mandate, or what theologians refer to as the creation mandate, that, that we, as stewards of God's creation, have a mandate to cultivate it. And, and what that looked like in Adam and Eve's day and what that looks like today means that we have responsibility to care, to develop. Money gives us these options. It allows us to create, and so it is a resource that can be used to secure things, but it also is something that can grow. So in that respect, money is viewed as a good thing. It's part of God's created order that brings about development that is intended to bring human flourishing. Maybe you don't think of money in that context. Maybe you don't think of your job in that context, that there's a, a greater good behind what is happening with the jobs we have and, and the work that we do. But it's not just working, it's also giving. We see that in verse 28. And a priority in our financial lives should be generosity, 
to help those in need, to also support God's work, His work of the gospel. We know that we're called to give back to Him a portion of what He has blessed us with, and to be able to give tithes and offerings is just a crucial part of stewardship. In fact, that's one of the ways that we worship the Lord, is by giving back to Him. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And I remember hearing that as a child, this concept of a cheerful giver. In fact, that, that word cheerful comes from the same word that we would use the word hilarious. And you think, really? A hilarious giver? That just seems comical. But it's, it's, it's a heart that says, I long to be a part of this. I long to help this need, help this person in need. I long to, to contribute to, to whatever it is here in God's kingdom that we, are, that we are doing. And I just want to take a minute and tell the church family today, thank you. Thank you for your faithful stewardship. Thank you for your sacrificial giving. The fact that we, as a church family, gave twice as much as our goal towards foreign missions, international missions, is amazing. I mean, that goal is a realistic goal. We set it each year based upon what's been given in the past. And so to say, we're going we're gonna to give $18,000 to support about 4,000 overseas missionaries, and then to say that money was doubled at the end of 2020, that is, that is sacrifice, that is commitment. And, and, and it, it's, it, didn't, it didn't just show up in the Lottie Moon giving, the, the Christmas gift giving. It also showed up in our general giving. Just think about it. The year 2020 was so unpredictable. There were even a couple of months where we weren't even gathering together in person. You would have thought, I would have thought, that we would have ended the, the year with really needing to dig into our reserves, the cash reserves. But do you realize, church family, that we ended 2020 having received about what we had spent. It was basically a break-even year for 2020. I am amazed. And so I certainly want to give God the glory for that because, again, He owns it all and He's, he's blessed. But I also just want to give that as a word of affirmation to the church family for, for being faithful and committed to, uh, to continuing to give. And it wasn't just those resources. We, we had a 1,000 Operation Christmas Child boxes where donations were brought in. We, we, we had food drives for a local uh, food ministry, Circle of Concern. And if you were part of that, you drove through and popped your trunk and had all these groceries to give to, to other, other residents right here in our area that, that were coming up short with groceries. We did that a couple of times and even helped with some Christmas gifts. And I'm, I'm saying all that to say, when we look at these, these verses that have to do with, 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 with giving and generosity, there's certainly evidence here. And I just, I just wanted to take the opportunity to, uh, to thank God and to also thank you because there is indeed uh, a, a, an ability that money can create and it can meet some needs. And you all have certainly helped with that. But there's also another type of power that money has that the Bible actually warns us about. And that's the third point. It's this. We should heed the warnings about the deception and danger of money. Because if, if money is all that we're thinking about and we are consumed by it, 
Or we think that if we only had certain things that our life would be so much better. If we allow a, a uh, if, if we allow it to, to, to really overcome us, it can become an idol. It can actually become a substitute for the worship of God, and, and we, can, we can worship the money. And, it, and, and that can happen even if we don't have a lot. Just, the, just that desire, that heart desire of, 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 of not ever being content and always wanting more and trying to find our hope and our security only in money, that itself can be a danger. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6. He says, but those who want to be rich fall into a temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. So again, look at the words carefully. He's saying that there, there is this wrong desire that can be a trap. It is not saying that if, if, if one happens to have wealth and have means, that that necessarily is their desire. But there is a desire that is being warned of. Look at verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And just think, that was written so many years ago. And even right now in a modern age, in a, in a technologically advanced society, we could say those words are true. We can pierce ourselves. We can get off track. We can have wrong thinking. And so, so the Bible is clearly giving us a warning that even though the, the, the money is powerful to create and powerful to bless and powerful to, to help, it also has a power to lure and a power that can, can be very, very dangerous. When we set our heart on riches, we then are looking to receive our ultimate contentment in temporal things, not the eternal Verse 9 even speaks of the ruin and the destruction. We all know stories of this, and we know that we live in a, in a society that, that has borrowed so much money. You think about the national debt. You think about the deficit. You, you think about, about all the many ways that, that, that people are, are tempted to spend more than, than, they, than they have, to live above their means. In fact, I was talking with Brad this week and said, we're going to have kids in the, in the service this week. What, what do you think is something that we could try to help the kids you know, just really gravitate towards. He said, well, he said, ask the students, ask the children about, about math and about numbers that are higher than other numbers. And that if you have a number that's this big, that means you can't spend a number that's above that, that you keep it. And I, and I think that's a, that's a good principle that even for a child to be able to understand, maybe they have an allowance, maybe they have a birthday gift, maybe, maybe they, they've done a job and they've been, they've been paid a little bit for it, to realize that that with this money, there's really only three things that can happen. You can spend it, you can save it, and you can give it. How would you plan out that, that plan for that money? And realizing that one of them is you can't go to the store and buy something that's above above that amount. We've all been there, right? Can you remember as a kid walking into the, the candy shop or the toy store and you see these things and you know what you've got in your tin can or in your envelope and it's like, uh, that's out of, my, out of my range. But somehow, if we, if we are not careful, we can allow other thought patterns to creep in 
and other avenues to access things that we really can't afford. That's part of the danger here. In fact, Dave Ramsey, who wrote, uh, he's written a lot of books. He has a radio program on, uh, on, on, uh, on managing money. He has put together a course called Financial Peace University, which on occasion we teach that here at our church. It's a, it's a wonderful course that really helps understand these, these biblical principles. And he gave some statistics. He said nearly 70% of all consumers live from paycheck to paycheck. So they're not in any position if there's a, if there's a crisis, if, there's a, if there is a, something unexpected that arises. Nearly half of American households have no savings at all. And then he said that, uh, he, he quotes the, the report that the leading cause for divorce today is conflict over money. So these are, these are major issues for us to, con- to consider. And I probably don't have to convince you of any of those things. You probably understand just how important it is that we understand the power of money. In fact, he illustrates it this way. He said, money is like a beautiful thoroughbred horse, very powerful and always in action. But unless this horse is trained when very young, it will be an out-of-control and dangerous animal when it grows to maturity. And so I think that for us is to understand how to harness that power, what principles to put around our financial lives that would promote health and peace and for our children to even be able to understand these. In fact, if you look at the book of Proverbs, you'll see a lot of principles. We've looked at a few already. And it's Solomon writing to who in many of these cases? Writing to his son, right? He's wanting his son to know how to handle the financial resources because he knows just how difficult it can be. Let me give a, a personal word here. If you happen to be in a situation where you need help, you need financial help. If you're in a position where you need help in making plans on how to, to really structure your financial life, we have people here that can help with that. Trained, trained people that have sat down with countless individuals and couples to help look at their, at their household uh, situation. That, I'm not the person that does that, so don't think that you're sitting down with me and, and I'll work with your budget. That's not, that's not me. It's another person. It's done in confidence. But if that's something that you feel like you're, you're kind of on a, on, a, on a thin rope and you just really need some help, that, 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 can, that can be, that can be uh, done right here through your own church family in a confidential way, this financial coaching. And as I said, on occasion we offer the Financial Peace University. That also is another tool they can help. And so don't feel like you're alone. Uh, don't, don't allow this to be a topic that creates shame and guilt. See it as an opportunity instead to look at some different directions and to apply principles. We could have said the same thing last week about physical health, right? That, that, that we, we have these principles that we are to, to steward. And so if you need some assistance with that, don't feel like you're all alone. Number four is to develop a plan for faithful stewardship. And what is a plan? It's a budget, right? And I know we don't like that word, but we, we, we are planners. In fact, many of us plan how we spend our time. You can already, in fact, many of you could probably pull out your phone. You could look at your calendar and see, how am I going to spend the hours and the days and the weeks that are ahead? You are budgeting your time. Well, in the same way, we have a certain amount of, of money. And the, the call there is to budget out and plan out the way 
that that money is going to be utilized. John Maxwell said a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And I think he makes a good point. Well, again, three things you can do once you've earned the money. You can save it, you can spend it, you can give it. I touched a little bit on, on, on giving. Let me give you a, a passage that, uh, re, that's related to saving. It's Proverbs chapter 6. In verse 6 it says, Go to the ant, you slacker, observe its ways, and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. It's just the idea that, that there's an understanding that there are seasons of plenty and there are seasons where we lack and that we plan for one to help with the other. Proverbs 21.20, precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a fool consumes them. This is really getting at the idea of temporal thinking, right? I, I, very temporary thinking, just thinking about the short term and consuming in the short term and not thinking about the long term. And that's where the one that has the precious treasure or the oil, they are thinking about what is to come. And there's a lot of life lessons there for us. So we think about, about saving, we think about giving, we also think about spending. And spending money is, is part of life, isn't it? I mean, we have utilities to pay, we, we have food to buy, we have a roof that we need to put over our head, we have transportation, we have health needs, we, we have all these things that are, that, are, that are right expenses. Now, they, they must be balanced appropriately, but we even see that referenced in Proverbs 12. A person will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the work of a person's hands will reward him. And so we see that that is one aspect. As much as we might want to save more, there may be times where we really have to spend it on certain things, and that's part of the planning. Well, let me give you one final point before we wrap up. And I think this one's, this one's really critical. Remember that ultimate security and significance are found in Christ alone. And that's a message that as Americans, we need to think about that. Because oftentimes we think that, that our, our significance in this life is based upon an account somewhere. Not the position that we have in Christ so think for a minute with me just about that mindset, that mindset of saying, my security is only going to be found in what I own versus my security being found in God. In fact, there is indeed another proverb that makes this distinction. We've heard verse 10 often. I think it's even part of a song that we sing. Look at verse 10 of Proverbs 18. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. We think about this idea that, that God is our refuge. He is our source of strength and protection. And, and ultimately, that's what, we, that's what we believe. That's what we hold on to. But if we're not careful, there's a temptation to think that it's what we have, what we possess that brings security. Because look at verse 11. The wealth of the rich is his fortified city. In his imagination, it is like a high wall. What a, what a brilliant point that this proverb is making. That if we're not careful, we will think that's where our safety is. That that's where our security is. That that's where our significance is. That's a danger. When we, in many ways, would substitute the security of God with what the world would provide.
a danger. Wealth can become that substitute. Now again, wealth is not evil, but if it becomes the object of one's worship, it is spiritual death. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So that's where that right perspective, that right understanding, that, that money, as important as it is, and as important as it is that we, that, we, that we manage it well and steward it well, it does not become the God that we serve. Mark 8, 36, Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So we got to think, as we wrap up, about priority. And think about it in light of who God is. In fact, I remember hearing someone give a testimony one time. And they said that the day that they trusted Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, it was after hearing a sermon on stewardship. Can you believe that? That someone would come to faith in Christ after a stewardship sermon? And, and, and as I thought about it, I thought, it must relate to this. That maybe for too long they were... They were just trying to pursue the things of this world for salvation. Well, as we think about giving this morning, I want us to be reminded that the greatest giver of all is God himself. He gave his one and only son. And what did Jesus do? He gave too. He gave his life. And so as we think about security and significance today, would you take a minute and just look at that cross? That's where our identity is found. That's where the greatest gift that was ever given can be understood. And if today all of this talk about shalom and, and well-being is something that, that, is, that is on your mind, I would say it begins, it begins with an encounter that you can have today with Jesus Christ. To place your faith in him, to ask him to meet you where you are. And maybe, maybe you feel like your life is just a wreck. And, and some people say, maybe I got to get it. My life straightened out before he'll take me. No, you come to him and let him put all those pieces back together. He's the God of Shalom. And whether it's emotional or physical, whether it's financial or relational, we can look to him for security, for wisdom, and ultimately for significance. So as I wrap up this morning, we're going to pray. But as I pray, can I ask you one thing? Was there anything at all in the message today that just struck you? Struck you as something to say, you know, that, that's something that needs my attention. That's something that needs my focus. Or that's something that, that, that's going to require a change for me. Because I realize that our situations are different. Just like situations last week, thinking about physical health. They're very different. But the main point is, you today have been a hearer of the word. What will it mean next to be a doer? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us enough that you would give us guidance and wisdom for every area of life. Lord, I pray that for anyone today that has found the topic to be unsettling, that, Lord, they could draw near to you that they could find peace and security, peace of mind, and assistance today. Lord, may no one be overwhelmed. But may they experience today 
maybe newness in this topic, maybe freedom, a new day that could come. And Lord, for those who who look at this topic and maybe it's not been a struggle, or maybe for them this is an area that has been that has been a, a success. They've, they've followed your word. They've, they've been wise. May you bless them today. May you encourage them. Lord, no matter where we are, may we ultimately put Jesus Christ at the top. May he and he alone be the source of our security and our significance. So Father, would you draw people to yourself today? May you apply your word. May you help us to be both hearers and doers. We pray this in Christ's name. All of God's people said, amen.